Morning, everybody. Uh, if you have the app open, there are notes to this message that are there that you can click on, and at the end, you can just email them to yourself so you have all the notes for the message this morning. I'm going to wrap up uh, today, the fourth week and final week of our series, Didn't See That Coming. Before I do that, let me tell you what's coming next week. Next week, we're going to begin a brand new message series. It's going to last six weeks, and the title of it is Ancient Ink. And what we're going to talk about is, you know, typically in the messages and the sermons, we talk about the contents of the Bible, like what's in the Bible. And what we don't spend a lot of time talking about is the Bible itself. And so starting next week, we're going to have this series on what do we do with this book that is at least 2,000 years old, written over a span of 1,500 years with about 40 different authors in three different languages in a different time, place, and culture than anything that we experience here in 2017. Is this good literature? Is this the Word of God? What do we mean by inerrant, infallible words that we kind of toss onto the Bible without asking the Bible what it says about itself? And so that's where we'll begin next week, and I'm looking forward to our time of study as we dive into ancient ink. So that will be starting next week. Now, if you've been hanging around for the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been talking about this idea that in spite of how 2016 went for you, 2017 just might be your year. Your year to finally step into your life calling and purpose. And I know there are moments, given how many years, 16 and 15 and 14, and they didn't feel like it worked out for you. In fact, you can enter into the year with such discouragement that it's hard for you to even imagine or believe that this might be your year that you could step into your life calling and purpose. What I want you to know is that most world changers, most people who go on to do great things in the world for the kingdom of God have a didn't-see-that-coming story. We tend to think it's going to be our five-year plan, our 15-year plan, our system of education, but for most people, it's something radically changed and happened. It was a massive plot twist in their life that God ushered them into their life calling and purpose. So we began the first week by looking at the story of Moses, who had been a shepherd of his father-in-law's flocks for 40 years, which means by the time he has this plot twist of a moment, he could be close to 80 years old. But one day he's tending the flock of his father-in-law and he encounters a burning bush. What I'd like for you to, to have hope in is that in 2017, out of nowhere, you may encounter your burning bush moment that opens up for you your life purpose and calling. But you need to know when it happens, it will not be then without another call to repentance. Meaning if you're going to pick up your life purpose, you're going to have to set something else down. It could be a way of thinking. It could be a behavior. It could be a particular relationship. It could be some thought pattern. I don't know what it is, but if you're headed in this direction, but your burning bush moment is over here, it's going to require from you repentance, which technically just means a turning around so that you could go this direction because this is the direction in which you're going to find your burning bush moment. In addition to your call to repentance, most likely you will also go through a call to a changed mind. And so last week we took a look at the Apostle Peter who in Acts chapter 10 spent his entire life believing certain things, not just because his parents said it, not just because his grandparents said it, not just because his rabbi preached about it, because the Bible said it. It had the weight of God said so. And so he spent his entire life recognizing we don't eat those foods as Jews. Because I'm Jewish, I don't eat those kind of unclean and unholy foods. And out of nowhere, he falls into a trance and in a vision, God shows him like a sheet coming down from heaven, all these unclean animals. And it says, Peter, 
get up, kill, and eat, to which Peter thinks to himself, uh-uh, I've spent my entire life not eating those foods. And then what happens next is he encounters Cornelius, who is a Gentile, and who gives his life to Jesus and has faith in Jesus. And Peter puts, the, puts it all together, and he encounters a call to a changed mind that ushers him into his life purpose and calling, that is to bring the good news and gospel of Jesus even to the Gentiles. And this morning, we're going to wrap up by kind of continuing this way of thinking. And I want you to imagine for just a moment a conversation that would take place, that would take place between us. So just pretend for a moment, you and I, we get together, we're having coffee, maybe we've encountered each other somewhere outside, and the conversation goes like this. I say to you, hey, did you hear that Michael Phelps retired from swimming after the last Olympics? And you'd say, yeah, I, I heard about that. And then I say to you, well, I'm going to go to Colorado Springs, Colorado, and I'm going to try out for the Olympic swim team. I'm going to take advantage kind of this opening since Phelps is retiring. To which you'd look at me and you'd be a little surprised and you would simply ask, I had no idea that you were into competitive swimming. To which I would reply, well, I don't know if I would call myself a competitive swimmer, but I plan on going and giving it everything I have and I'm trusting that I'm going to be able to live out my dreams. To which you'd respond, so you want to live out your dreams of being a swimmer in the Olympics but you're not sure you're a competitive swimmer. And then you'd ask me, well, what is your time in the 200-meter butterfly? To which I would say, I have no idea. <laughs> I've never timed myself, nor have I ever tried a butterfly stroke. <laughs> and then a little bit more skeptically, you'd ask, but you're going to be an Olympic swimmer. Then you'd roll your eyes and berate me with, do you have a coach? Are you following a program? Are you on that crazy 12,000 calorie per day diet that Michael Phelps is on for energy? And I would respond, well, I don't have a coach, and I'm not really following a program, but I do plan on watching a few YouTube videos that are tutorials. And in terms of eating 12,000 calories a day, I might be doing that because cheese-covered bacon-wrapped shrimp dipped in ranch dressing is delicious. And you would, of course, say, dude, it doesn't sound like you are in the least bit ready to even attempt to be an Olympic swimmer, to which I'd respond, why are you being so negative? Why are you trying to crush my dream? How about a little support and encouragement? I've already purchased a plane ticket, and I plan on going, and I could at least use some encouragement and support from you. Now, you would think, obviously, that I was out of my mind, and I would be. And the reason is because in life we all recognize that you don't get to be a competitive Olympic qualifying swimmer by simply declaring, I'm going to be an Olympic swimmer. You can pray all you want. You can attempt some name it, claim it, spiritual hocus pocus. But in the end, one does not get to be an Olympic swimmer by virtue of an announcement or a declaration. We recognize that there's an entire detailed process on how one becomes an Olympic swimmer. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of steps between deciding I'm going to be an Olympic swimmer and actually becoming an Olympic swimmer, like getting a coach who puts me then through a vigorous training with specific plans and learning techniques and thousands if not tens of thousands of hours logged in the pool in practice, a whole diet and nutrition scheme, strength and cardiovascular training, and a bunch of razors to shave off all the body hair, which apparently you have to do. These are just steps to becoming an Olympic athlete. And we know this is true in almost every aspect of life. 
And we could substitute the conversation. I mean, maybe it's not Olympic swimming. Maybe if I were to say to you uh, this morning as you're walking out, hey, I just want you to know on Wednesday I'm having a piano recital and I'm going to be playing Chopin's Etude in Thirds and I'd like to invite you. And you'd be like, you can play Chopin's Etude in Thirds? Like, how long have you been taking lessons? And I'd say, I haven't really taken any lessons, but I'm having a recital I want you to come to, and I'm going to try to play. I mean, you'd be like, well, you're out of your mind. If you've never practiced a piano, learned how to play, if you've never had lessons, you're you're not going to just sit down and play. Or if I were to say to you, hey, I've got an art exhibit on Thursday that I want you to come to at 7 o'clock. There's going to be snacks and coffee and and hors d'oeuvres, and you're you're like, I didn't know you are an artist. Yeah, I'm an artist. Well, do you paint? No. Sculpt? No. Draw? No. What do you do? I don't know, but I'm having an art exhibit. I'd like you to be there. Like, you just think, you're, you're an idiot. Like, if, if I were to say to you, hey, this week I'm testing to be a black belt in Taekwondo, you'd be like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know you are like, you're in Taekwondo? Well, I mean, I've seen a couple YouTube videos, and I like Bruce Lee's movies a lot, but I don't know if I've ever, I mean, I'm just going to tell like, we all recognize, you don't get to just announce, I'm going to be a black belt in Taekwondo. There's a whole thousands of steps between here and there in order to be that and to do that, and you don't get to do it just simply because you want it really, really bad. Each one of these things assumes thousands of hours of practice and training and discipline and learning of techniques and coaching and evaluation. And the reason why this is important is because we're talking about 2017 being the year that you may just receive your call to purpose. And undoubtedly, you will have to release some things in a call to repentance to lay hold of it and change some fundamental thoughts in a call to change mind. But in order to actually see your life calling, the purpose manifest, you will have to experience a call to first steps. In order to live out your life calling, you're going to have to receive a call to first steps. The journey that takes you from where you are now to where you're going begins with your first step. And I don't mean to be cliche, but if I might quote Leo Tzu for just a moment, you've probably heard this saying before, the journey of a thousand miles begins with what? The first step. And the first step is critical because the first step determines direction. Like depending on which, wherever you want to go. So listen, not all paths lead to the same destination. And your first step determines where it is that you're going to ultimately end up. So let's say you want to go to the Blueberry Festival in Plymouth, Indiana. And who doesn't because blueberry pancakes? I mean, if your step is towards the north, what will happen? You will not make it to the Blueberry Festival. Because at least from here, you don't head north. So I hope you like apples because you're on your way to the Apple Festival in Niles is where you're going. The first step is important in regards to everything because it sets for us direction. And I promise you... Just as God has a call to purpose in your life, He also has a path that begins with a first step. And just because you aren't ready for the full manifestation of your purpose doesn't mean that there's not still a first step. Now, let me illustrate this with a beautiful, didn't see that coming moment from one of our most prolific authors of the Bible and missionaries in the Roman Empire who set it on fire with the gospel of Jesus, the Apostle Paul. Now, here's Paul's didn't see that moment coming. Now, just a little background. Paul wasn't born Paul. He was born Sally, and I'm just kidding. There's, there's no surgery. Paul wasn't born Paul. He, his actual name was Saul, and he was from Tarsus, which is in modern-day Turkey now. And he was a Roman citizen at birth, by birthright, even though he was brought up as a conservative Jew in the 
in the branch of Phariseeism, even being trained under the rabbi Gamaliel, which is a pretty impressive pedigree. But what we know about Saul is he hated Christians. He hated what he saw as this new sectarian group who claimed to believe, ridiculous as it is, that some peasant preacher from the area of Galilee was actually the Messiah of Israel that we've been waiting for for hundreds of years. And he hated Christians so much that he committed himself to stamping out this heretical sect from Judaism. And for Saul, that meant by any means necessary. It was a pragmatic, the ends justifies the means. We have to get them off of the face of the earth. So he enforced his convictions by arresting people, imprisoning people, and even executing those who confessed and propagated that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, there's a story in the book of Acts about Stephen. He was a deacon in the early church. Stephen is his name. And he's the first person to give his life for Jesus. And it is Saul who is there giving his approval of, in fact, Stephen's stoning and eventual death. But he has passion and zeal. You have to give him that. It just happens to be that he hated Christians. And then he has a colossal, didn't see that coming moment. Here's where it is. He tells the story several times in Scripture, but I'm going to be in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 is where I'll be. And here's the story. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is what they called Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners then to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Now, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. So Saul got got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. He was blind. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and didn't eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. So, like, shifting scenes, the Lord shows up to Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord said to him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, that you, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And I like the response there, verse 13. Um, God, you might not have got this memo. Like, you might not know about this guy. Like, let me tell you, God, a little bit about Saul's background and why we should be concerned by this. He says, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, and placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. Then he got up. And he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. 
Now, when you talk about burning bush moments, this is one burning bush moment. One moment, Saul is headed in this direction on his way to arrest and persecute Christians. The next moment, he's able to see again. He's introduced to Jesus, and he's baptized. This is such a dramatic burning bush moment. I mean, everyone knew Saul. And you noted, right, when God told Ananias to go to Saul, Ananias is ready to make an argument as to why this is a bad idea. Everyone knows this dude. In fact, this turnaround is so powerful and so dramatic that it's going to take Barnabas, who was called the son of encouragement, to actually convince the apostles that they should trust and accept Saul. Here's, what it go, here's how it goes down later in this chapter, Acts chapter 9, verse 26. It says, when he came to Jerusalem, it's talking about uh, Paul here, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. <laughs> like, it's like, you know, walking up this morning to church, and the greeters see you, like, mm-mm, <laughs> you ain't getting in here. And they called the building monitor, and the building monitor called it, like, we're all scared, like, we don't trust you, and that's what's happening to Paul. So he doesn't get, like, a warm reception. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he even preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Saul, whose entire life purpose is about to be radically changed and altered and will get a new name, Paul. And you'll see this often in Scripture. Uh, God will sometimes, when he gives somebody a radical new purpose and a new calling, he'll give them a new name. So Abram will become Abraham, Sarai will become Sarah, Isaac, I mean Jacob will become uh, Israel. You got here, Paul will be, or Saul will become Paul. Sometimes God does that, and so Saul will be now known as Paul, and he gets a new life purpose. And let me read it for you one more time in case you missed it. It's in verse 15. This is, what, this is what God says, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim the name to the, my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Now this is Paul's call to purpose. And again, as we asked in the first week, what is your call to purpose? And I don't know what yours is. Maybe yours is to be a foster parent, and you will take in your home children who are in desperate need of structure and love and discipline and care and nurturing, and you'll know I was put on the planet to do this. For others of you, maybe your life purpose will be to be a missionary as well, that you recognize, no, I've got a heart and a passion for a particular nation or for a particular people group, and, and God wants to use you in that. You know, that's, why, that's my purpose. Others of you, you're like, I, I think I'm on this planet to go into the medical field, and that's what my calling or purpose is. Or maybe yours is to work with families in poverty, maybe to be an advocate for immigration reform, maybe working with children with autism, maybe opening up a business that instead of just worrying about your profits all the time, you're actually going to use it as leverage to employ people who desperately need a second chance and can't get one anywhere else. But this is Paul's call to purpose. And I'm asking you to consider that you too could have your burning bush moment, your road to Damascus experience that reveals your call to purpose. Paul is going to spread the gospel and be a missionary church planter all over the Roman Empire, But not yet. Not yet. Because first, he has to encounter Ananias. That will be his first step. Listen, he will be a great church planter, and he will live out his call to purpose, but not until he walks through his call to first steps. And what is his first step? You need to get up and you need to go see Ananias. Okay, well then after that, he can be this great church planter, right? Not yet. 
because then next he's going to have to spend some time in the desert of Arabia, and God's going to do a thing there. Okay, but then after that he can go be a church planter, right? Nope, not yet. After that he's got to go back to Damascus and Syria and spend some time there. Okay, but after that, right, he finally gets to be the life, the life purpose, the church planter. Not yet, because then he has to go to Jerusalem and spend some time there. In fact, Paul will kind of lay out his kind of itinerary, like where he's been in life. He does so when he writes a letter to the church in Galatia, and he explains. And now, he's kind of in an argument with people are trying to twist the gospel, but he kind of gives, a, here's a little biographical sketch of where I've been. He says in chapter 1 of Galatians, verse 13, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and even tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But, that's the plot twist, when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia, and then later I returned to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, which is another name for Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. And then I went to Syria and Cilicia, and I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report that the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. In fact, from the moment that Paul receives his road to Damascus experience to the time he goes on his first missionary journey, you know how long it is? 12 years. It's 12 years from the road to Damascus to walking in his purpose of being a missionary. And the reason why is because God was still working on him. He needed to spend some time in Arabia and Damascus and Jerusalem. Those were his next steps. It's like being an Olympic swimmer. Paul doesn't get to just declare, I'm going to be an apostle and a church planter. He has to enter into the training and the techniques and the coaching, and the evaluation, and the spiritual disciplines, and the instructions of doctrine and faith, and learn the ways of Jesus. He has to enter into the training that all disciples must walk through. Will he live out his call to purpose? Yes. But only after walking through his call to first steps. And this is difficult for us. Because most of the time when we sense our calling, we want it like that. We are an immediate gratification kind of people, and you probably recognize it in your life all the time. When the Internet is just a little bit slow in your house than at your work, what happens? <sighs> this is ridiculous, right? That it's got to go from here to that satellite and bounce back over again. It's taking a little bit longer to upload than what I'm used to. And like, wait, right? When you put something in the microwave, you've got to stand there for two minutes and wait for it. What's happening? You're like, come on, right? I mean, like 100 years ago, there was no microwave. You had to wait 40 minutes for that. Now it's done in two minutes. We're, we're an instant gratification kind of people. We all want to look good and be healthy, fit in those jeans and that dress. But what don't we want to do? Walk through the process that actually brings that about. That's why we spend so much on plastic surgery, because for most of us, we spend just one day eating healthy and exercising. The next morning, we wake up, step on the scale, and are offended we didn't lose 20 pounds. Immediate gratification. I worked so hard. I was so hungry. That should be 20 pounds right there. Hey, people come out of college nowadays, and they want now what it took their parents 30 years to acquire. Well, what do you mean I can't have a 
3,500 square foot house yet. I went to college, didn't I? Yeah, but you're, you're going to have to start with this two-bedroom apartment. That's your first step. I got a degree. Somebody should make me a CEO of this company. Okay, yes, but you're going to have to start in the mailroom. That's your first step. Well, with my potential and marketability, how am I not driving a Bugatti? I'm not denying your potential or your marketability. I'm just saying you're going to start with a Saturn. That's your first step. And when that happens, you will join a long list of God's servants who received their call to purpose but didn't walk into it until years later. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? He was 17 years old when God gave him his call to purpose. I mean, in a, in a dream, told him that you're going to be a ruler. In fact, a ruler even of your dad and your brothers, which they didn't care for, by the way. But you know, you know what happened to Joseph next? Oh, my goodness, it's a whole series of steps, most of which look negative. <laughs> and it isn't until he's 30 years old that he finally lives into being a ruler of Egypt. Remember King David? Remember that story? He's just a young kid, like a young kid. Israel needs a new king. The prophet Samuel shows up to the house and says to his dad, Jesse, one of your sons, and he didn't even know who it is yet, one of your sons is going to be the next king of Israel. And so what, what does Jesse do? He brings in all of his sons except for the runt, <laughs> the baby, the youngest, who clearly could not be the next king of Israel. So all the brothers come walking by, and, and God doesn't say to Samuel, that's the one. And finally, Samuel says, do you have any other kids? <laughs> well... David, but he's out with the sheep because that's what the runt does. Well, we'll go bring him in. So they bring, they bring David in. As soon as Samuel sees him, God says to the prophet Samuel, he's the one. And so they anoint King David, who probably is about 15 years old. Now, you anoint me king at 15, you know what I'm going to be like? I'm king. Okay, right? You know what David does next? You know where David goes? Back out to the fields to watch shepherd, as a shepherd to watch the sheep for years. He won't become king until he's 30 years old. He had to walk into his first steps because he wasn't ready. He might have been anointed. This is your life calling, but he wasn't ready to take the mantle. He had to first walk through the steps that were necessary for God to transform him to be the person that could one day be the ruler of all Israel. Joseph might have received his call and purpose, but he wasn't ready yet by way of character to pick up his mantle to help lead Egypt. And this is the way it is for so many of us. We have our first steps because we're not ready yet to receive our full life purpose and calling. Not even that we don't know what it is, we're just not ready to walk in it just yet. And it isn't because you aren't intelligent enough. Because for some of you, I'm telling you, no, you're so smart, I'm convinced you're smart enough. And sometimes we think, oh, don't you think I'm able? Don't you think I'm able to do this? To which I'd say, no, for some of you, you're so gifted and so talented, you are clearly able. This is not an issue of your intelligence. This is not an issue of your abilities. This is an issue of your character. You're not ready yet. And should God bring that kind of success into your life right now, you'll be crushed under the weight of it. It's not that you're not smart enough or that you're not even able enough. You can't handle that. And how many, people, how many celebrities do we know go from complete obscurity to complete fame and fortune and celebrity status, and then what happens to their life? It's a complete dumpster fire. It is a shipwreck of massive colossal proportions. Why? Because they didn't have the character that can handle it. And see, rather than God sabotage your calling and purpose in life, he wants to guide you through those steps so that in those steps, he might be preparing you to have the kind of character that can step into that and succeed and not be crushed under the weight of it. Because that pride and ego always has a way of cropping up and catching us. And even in it, God tests us in the steps. See, when God says, all right, here's your calling and your purpose. 
Now let me give you this next step. What he's waiting to see is how you handle that next step. Do you enter into it with humility and faithfulness and obedience and dependency on God? And if you do, you know what God does next? He gives you the next step. Let's see how he can handle that. And then if you step in it with humility and faithfulness and obedience and complete dependence on God, it's like you pass the test. You move on and all along the way, your time in the butterfly 200 meters looking more and more like championship material. And then the Bible tells us when you prove faithful with just a little, what does everyone know? You'll prove faithful with a lot. Now, others of you, you know what your life calling is. And it's so big that it's overwhelming to you. Like, you know why God put you on this planet. The problem is it feels so heavy that it's overwhelming you and paralyzing you to some extent. And what I'm hoping that you'll find in good news is this, is this reality. Well, you don't have to fulfill your life calling tomorrow. In fact, you don't even have to fulfill your life calling this year. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't be paralyzed. Just break it down and just listen to God give you what your next step is. Start there and let that be good news to you. I know it's a little dated. How many of you have ever seen the show, What About Bob? You ever seen the movie, What About Bob? Bob Wiley is the main character. Got all sorts of crazy thoughts, dysfunctions, and diseases. So he goes to see his therapist, and the therapist just happened to write a book called, you remember the name, name of it is? Baby Steps. So there's a scene in the movie where the therapist is trying to say to, 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 to Bob, listen, you're overwhelmed and you start to panic and freak out in anxiety. Don't just break it all down into baby steps. Don't worry about how you're going to get from my office to your house. Think about how you're going to get from my office out into the hallway. And when you get into the hallway, then you're going to figure out how to get into the elevator. And when you get into the elevator, you're going to figure out how to get to the bottom and walk out. And then to get to the street, then to get, to, to get a cab, and then to get to your house. Break it all down. It's in the same way with the first step. Don't be overwhelmed and paralyzed by this massive calling and purpose that God has placed on you. Just break it down into baby steps or first steps and be faithful there. And trust that once you get there, God will give you the next one. I want you to receive this year a call to purpose. And when you receive it, I pray that it will be great. And I know when you receive it, it will also be accompanied by a call to repentance. You're going to have to lay something down to pick up your life purpose. And when you do that, it will be with a call to a changed mind, but it will start with a call to first steps. And so I end this morning by simply asking you, what is your first step? What is your first step? Maybe you don't become a doctor in 2017, but in 2017 you're going to study and you're going to take the MCAT and you're going to go back to school. That's your first step. Or maybe for you, the first step is, I'm not walking in this just yet. I just need to sign up for that class. That's your first step. Others of you, you've been dreaming about this for quite some time and you've been putting it off, but your first step is to go to the bank and to get a loan. That's your first step. Or maybe it's to find those investors. Or maybe paralyzed and all sorts of dysfunction, your first step in 2017, I'm just going to go see a therapist. That will, that will help me. Or maybe your first step is just to go to the gym. Or maybe to put together a resume. Or to finally send that letter. Or to fill out that application. Or to launch that website you've been dreaming about for years. Or to sell the house. Maybe it is to move to Colorado Springs because they have more sun there. 
It might be your first step just to break up with that loser boyfriend. And for others of you, it might be to ask that girl to the dance or to overcome that addiction or to finally write and record that song that you know has been in your heart and your mind for years. And I don't know what it will be for you, but there is a first step. Take it. That's how you get to your life purpose. And imagine the story then you're going to be able to tell. Man, it's going to be riveting. It's going to be one gigantic plot twist that you didn't see coming because that is how God typically works. And he can work that in your life even in 2017. It's going to be a great story. Your grandkids are going to ask you, over, Grandma, tell us about 2017 again. So let me leave you with this word, this scripture. And if you need it, uh, just let this be your life verse. I don't know if you need it or not. This, if you're still awaiting your burning bush moment, if it feels like, oh, I'm just, come on, God, help me, help me. It's out of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. You've probably heard this, but let, let it sink into your spirit. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let me say this one more time. Being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you. What comes next? Not, he might, he's thinking about it, there's a chance, but rather, hmm, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's stand. Let's pray. God, for those who are in this room awaiting their burning bush moment, I pray that we might have eyes to see that bush on fire, that road to Damascus experience. And if we're right now on the wrong path, like we're headed the wrong direction and we're going to miss it entirely, I pray that your spirit might check us and redirect us and focus us back on the path that you want us to be on that we might not miss that moment when you call to us and give us our life purpose. And we know along with it will come repentance and sometimes, Lord, that's difficult. It feels like things are getting chopped off of our life and that could be a painful, violent exercise at times. And sometimes we have to change our thinking. I mean, thoughts that we've had our entire life. And at the same time, so that we're not overwhelmed by it, we recognize there's also just another step sometimes a first step. So I pray, Lord, that we won't miss that. Would you guide us in every way that we might walk out of here into our life calling and purpose, and ultimately that our lives will have a fantastic story, but even more than that, that will bring you glory. This is what we ask in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.